All right, so we are taking a massive jump from Exodus 40 to Leviticus chapter 10. In reality, we're touching on Leviticus 8 and 9 a little bit, but 10, that's the whopper. That's the big one. And um, if you're wondering, yes, Leviticus 10 is your discount code for Darkwater Woodwork this week. Doug Cole has been great about keeping those codes fresh uh, in alignment with the Out in the Garage podcast. And you save 15% off of your Out in the Garage beard bundle when you put in the code Leviticus10 this week. And so next Friday, there'll be a different one. Be a little more challenging uh, through Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy, but we'll, we'll make it. We're men. We can do this. Uh, we are talking about uh, the death of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. And uh, this is one of those uh, portions of scripture that your antagonist friend who doesn't believe in uh, Jesus and Christians and church and Bible and all that stuff, this is one that they just relish, the God of wrath. There he is, just just killing people for no reason at all. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I understand that perspective, but what we fail to recognize when we have an argument like that, like the God of wrath, here he is just wiping people out. What you're assuming is the goodness of the human nature. That somehow human nature, human understanding, human perspective would be equal to God's perspective, which is completely irrational. Now, I understand that coming to the text. Now, let me give you context in case you are completely unfamiliar with old Nadab and Abihu. So Leviticus is about establishing Levitical laws and instructions. And here we have the this priest. We have Aaron and his sons who are consecrated to... Um, they're going to serve between uh, the nation of Israel and... And God, if you will, they're offering the sacrifices. They're, you know, they're the ones going to be offering the rams and all this stuff. And so there was an atonement that needed to be made. Okay, we have offerings and sin offerings and burnt offerings and on and on and on. And so we have uh, what we have in Leviticus chapter eight is the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Essentially, they are being set apart for this ministry for this responsibility. Maybe you've been a part of an ordination service where somebody uh, who has felt called to ministry, the elders of that church have confirmed that call to ministry, and they are being ordained. Essentially, they're being set apart for ministry. Usually, it's, it's a pretty big deal. What you often don't see is on the other side of that ordination ceremony, the meeting and the praying and sometimes fasting and the interviewing and all the things that go into that. By far, for me, the most uh, nerve-wrecking uh, experience of my life. Yeah, nerve-wrecking experience of my life. I was, I was pretty confident in getting married. I didn't like being in front of people, but I knew, hey, I'm getting married to this woman. That's a pretty good deal. Um, I, you know, I was nervous about having kids. I mean, I didn't have to, quote-unquote, have the kid, but I was an active participant, uh, certainly on the front end. So I knew, like, I, I thought, well, there's two of us. We, we, we can handle this. I'm telling you right now, one of the most nerve-wracking things I've ever done is sit in front of uh, the group of elders that ordained me for ministry back in Southeast Iowa. No question. 
I mean, I had cheat sheets, seriously. Uh, and, and they took it serious. I took it serious. And afterwards, like their wives, the elders' wives, and all of them come together. My wife come in there. And we all had this kind of like sharing time. And they basically imparted wisdom to us and say, hey, here's some things we see in you guys. You know, there were some people that said, hey, here's some things I see in you. And I, I don't know if I ever had anyone say that to me. I wasn't sure how to absorb it. And it was all very, very good, very encouraging and um, affirming. That's what's, that's what's essentially happening here. We got Aaron and his sons, and I, and I can't go into everything that's transpiring here, but let's just let's fast forward it to the point where we say this is a really big deal. Okay, so you have Moses essentially um, leading the ceremony of of ordination of consecration for them, and so you have Aaron, who is kind of the focal point for a while, and then you go down um, to verse thirteen of chapter eight, and Moses brought Aaron's sons, and he clothed them with coats, and tied sashes around their waist, and bound caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, in our our denomination, I don't know what you all have. Uh, we don't have uh, coats and sashes and uh, caps. I could go for a cap. Um, we don't have anything like that. But uh, I, I do think sometimes there is great value in this. There are some denominations for this. I think sometimes I'm non-denominational. If, if that's a denomination, that's where I'm at. Um, I think sometimes we are far too casual with um, the presenting of the gospel and, and, and trying to be a little too relevant in, in our dress and our attire and our approach to say, I'm, I'm every man. Well, if you really are, if you will, ordained and called to ministry, you're not, quote-unquote, every man. I mean, there's a different charge there. There's a different responsibility there. And I think you're held to a different standard. And so Leviticus 8 is really loaded. This is where we start seeing the sacrifices being sacrificed and cut up and blood here and blood there. And let's just say this, man. If you if you go through the book of Leviticus, you have to say, then there had to be blood all over the place. That was just one big sacrifice, if you will, after another. And then we go to Leviticus 9. We have uh, Aaron's and his the offerings and such. And then um, verse chapter 9 of verse 9, that made no sense. Leviticus 9, 9. Sometimes my eyes and my brain aren't in alignment. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, and he put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the, the base of the altar. It goes on about the kidneys. It goes on to all the... So the image I want you to grab, and I would encourage you to read it if you will, is Aaron and his sons, active participants in this. It's a big deal. Okay? And then we get to chapter 10. This is what your friend would like. He wouldn't read 8 and 9. He wouldn't have any idea of 1 through 9, what's all taking place here, and that's fine. Uh, Exodus 10, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, or uh, maybe in your translation it says strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This this is a this is a big deal, right? And so the first tabernacle has been erected. Aaron's doing a lot of sacrificing as God had instructed him in chapter eight and chapter nine. And then one day you got these two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they come along and they offer what some translations say strange. The ESV says unauthorized, foreign, profane. 
God not only rejects the sacrifice. Now, let, let me back up here. God had given clear implications of what was to transpire. Now, when you read in Scripture, clear instruction, clear implications, clear wording, black and white, this is what you're to do, this is what you're not to do. What do you see? What do you see? To me, most things in life are fairly black and white. We like to play in the gray area just to see if we can't kind of swing it one way or the other and gain some kind of advantage. I'll give you an example of something I seen the other day. I can't believe it. Uh, my wife wanted to go to this party store. It's like a party uh, decoration store. They're going out of business. Well, I'm not going to no party store, but I'll drive her there. So I drive her there, and she and one of my kids go in. They're buying decorations or whatever. They're in there a long time. And uh, this party store is right next to a PetSmart. Now, I don't do parties, really, and I don't do pets. So I don't know what a PetSmart is. I don't know what that's like, except it did seem like there were some people bringing their animals in. I, I guess you can bring pets into PetSmart. If you're selling pets, do they sell pets at PetSmart? You can't answer me. But if they sell pets at PetSmart, which I would assume they do, I, obviously they're going to have food and other things, right, for pets, and you bring your pet in, isn't that kind of mean? Isn't that kind of mean bringing your dog in? You see all these other dogs like just lapping it up on the glass. You're like, well too bad i already got one i i don't know i don't know how it works in pet smart i really don't i i don't think i've ever set foot in a pet smart store i can't remember setting foot in a pet store maybe i have i who cares but here's what i saw first of all everyone wants the closest parking spot fair enough most people are out of shape and they're lazy and they're they're selfish but beyond that they were parking in the handicap parking spots now I know. I know it's easy to look at someone and say, boy, you're just lazy. You're no good. I'll tell you what. How, I thought, well, may, maybe, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're handicapped. The last I understood, and maybe this isn't the case anymore, there should be some kind of symbol, fairly universal symbol, at least in America, that the symbol on the ground should be indicative of something on your car, like hanging from your mirror or your license plate. And typically, isn't that like a wheelchair symbol? I didn't see no symbol. And I'm going to tell you what, most, now let me, hear me out now. I was there a long time. I was probably in the car 40 minutes or so. I, I don't know, hour, I don't know, felt like a week. I can't tell you the number of people that came, and it was multiple now, came to PetSmart, parked in the handicap spot, got out, and did not appear handicapped at all. I'm thinking, have we grown that selfish and pathetic that you think doesn't matter that there's a giant blue box painted on the ground? I want this spot. It's a closer spot. Clearly, whatever I have to do in, in PetSmart is more important than if an actual person who would need this spot would need to park here. Uh, they can just deal with it and they can walk a little further. They can just figure it out. Is that where people are at? That's what I say. It's not hard to be exceptional in 2023. It's not hard to, to uh, be rare in 2023. I'm not going to be that guy. As a matter of fact, I don't even like taking the close spots when they're regular parking spots. No. There's someone older. There's someone pregnant. There's someone who's got a little hitch in their giddy-up. They need those spots. I'm going to park out a little further, and I'm going to get some steps in. I'm going to walk out a little bit, and I don't want you digging up my car. So I'm going to walk out. I mean, be a man. Walk. Walk. These were men. 
As a matter of fact, I think every one of them was a man who pulled into that spot. Every one of them was a man that pulled in one of those spots, to my recollection, and did that. So we're, we're, we're assuming the best of the human nature, right? Like, well, come on, come on. So we got these two guys, and they just get wiped out. You say, why did why, why'd you tell me the story about the handicap, the pet smart, and all that? Clearly, the, the rule is don't do that, right? Now, if you were to get a ticket for parking in a spot you're not supposed to park, you, you, would, you would try to make a uh, just cause for why you did that. Come on now. I was, what, in a hurry? I had to get dog food? Had to, what, what, what did you, a leash? What did you need to do that would be justification for you to take that spot and say, it's, it's my right to do that? It is your right to do that until the law is exercised that says, no, you, you're not supposed to do that. Well, that's not fair. That's the rule. Wouldn't it be great if life was fair, but it's not fair? And there are rules and there are instructions. There's a reason why God did not want these two knuckleheads offering strange fire before him. One, it was to set an incredibly high standard of what was about to take place every time. If they are going to be in the business of handling the sin offerings and such for people, don't forget, these are sinful individuals as well. There's only one atoning sacrifice that was absolutely perfect and unnecessary for that individual, and that's Jesus. Jesus didn't need his sins atoned for. He atoned for everyone else's sins. God told these these men, he said, I will be honored. Verse 3, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. You talk about a bad day to be the middleman. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So, you know, that's where guys like to play ignorance. Like, well, if I just don't know, then I can play ignorance. Wrong. Here's the deal. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. You say, are you, are you near God? Are you, are you near him? You better say yes. If you're not, you better make that right. Now, I would say those who have a, a different type of call in their life, and I'm going to talk about ministry, missionaries, I mean, missionaries are ministry, but you know, I'm talking like working at a church, working overseas, working at, you know, parachurch, whatever, those, those things that you feel called to do that. I just think there's a different responsibility for those people. And for you guys that say, see, that's why I don't, I don't want no part of ministry or whatever. Yeah. If there's a different responsibility and call to those people, you better be very, very careful when you have their name in your mouth. The way you talk to them and about them, you better be very careful with that. Because if you're going to read this book, then read it. Because those who are dogging on Moses, those who dog on those that God has called, God said, uh, we'll fix that. Now, here's the thing. Not everybody who does something that would be, if you will, in violation to God's instructions gets immediately wiped out. There are people like uh, you got Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. You got Achan, which is wild, you know, stealing. Um, I'm trying to think if there is others. I'm blanking right now. I get this bright light shining in my face. And so um, I, just, I can't recall if there are, but there are times in Scripture where you say, whoo, that was severe and that was immediate. Okay. God's making a point to all the other priests are going to be serving his tabernacle later. And, and he's making the point to us as well. He's like, I'm, I'm serious about this. This was the first time sacrifices were being offered on the altar. And Israel was getting to know the living God through a different type of sacrificial 
relationship. You see, at this point, basically Israel had been consuming from God. He's feeding us. He's watering us. He's got this cloud hovering so we can see him. He tells us when to stay. He tells us when to go, right? Like they're just consuming. They're like infants. And now God says, you're going to be an active participant in this. He's not going to allow disobedience from Nadab and Abihu to be the precedent for future people to disregard his law, right? Again, go back to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, like, that's pretty severe. And why was it so severe? That's the early church. And God says, we're not going to do this, right? Achan, that was really severe. Why was that? That was the Israelites entering into the promised land, establishing their footprint, if you will, as a nation. And so you say, boy, that seems severe. I don't, I, I don't argue with that. But we don't know exactly why t- to that severity God chose to do this. Could he made him blind? Yeah. Could he made him like lepers? Of course. Could he made him lose a limb? Of course. Um, you know, a lot of things could have transpired here, right? But we don't know. We don't know what was really going on. We don't know the approach. We don't know were these men drunk? You know, were they had had this you know started to happen before? Is this something they conspired together? Were they trying to shortcut things? They were certainly cheapening. Uh, the role that God had called him to. Now, listen, this is something you learn from the earliest of ages. God knows our hearts. He knows what we truly believe, and he knows our attitude towards him. We can't offer him some kind of arrogant or proud or strange or, or unworthy offering or sacrifice to him, right? Cain and Abel. God looked at one, said, your heart's in the right place. Looked at the other and said, I think you're trying to go cheap on me here, right? God is also seeking those who come to him in humility, ready to sacrifice their pride, their their ego, their reputation, everything, and lay it before him with a humble and contrite heart. Now, we know, we know in Scripture, there are lots and lots of times that God demonstrates grace and forgiveness and mercy and second chances and 77th chances and all those who belong to him. Like that is a that is a constant theme in scripture. And if you read throughout the Bible, there are times that you think, man, God, I don't understand your mercy. I don't understand your patience, right? Slow to anger. But this apparently is willful disobedience. And when that happens, God will discipline us. And if the disobedience continues, then there are times God takes much harsher measures until we understand what the world we're doing here. Now, here's a takeaway I want you to grab here. You got Aaron. He's a priest. That's a big deal. He's got two sons. Clearly, uh, they're um, priests as well. Uh, Just because you're a believer, just because you're a God-fearing individual, that doesn't mean your kids are going to get it. And a lot of you guys know that. But also, and we're talking to grown men here, and this is something we, we try to tell our kids, that just because your, your parents are believers, just because your parents are God-fearing people, that doesn't mean you're going to get it, right? Like, that doesn't mean that, that it's it, the, baton of, the baton of faith isn't automatically passed on, right? The individual has to receive it. They have to look for it. They're ultimately going to have to surrender to Jesus. And so this whole need to have and abide you thing, it's a big deal. And so what we're going to see in Leviticus 10, and really we see it throughout a lot of the Old Testament, is this idea 
that what's happening and what's going to happen was to continue throughout the generations. He said, this isn't a one-time deal. Uh, Leviticus chapter 10, 10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. God says, I'm not negotiating on my glory. I'm not negotiating on my standards. We talk a lot about raise the standard. Raise your own standard to start with. Stop settling for mediocre. Stop settling for just not that bad. Stop setting the bar so low that you trip on it or your kids pick it up and hit you with it. Raise that bar. Raise that standard that you keep aspiring to get better. That you keep aspiring to pursue the heart of God. I I recognize tonight that for the last, I don't know how long, that when I go walk, when I go drive in the car, when I go whatever, unless I have like my kids in the car with me, um, I don't turn any radio on. I don't have any music on. When I go for my walks, when I go, I don't have music on. When I'm trying to work and I'm trying to put some of these thoughts and stuff together, I don't have music on. I'm not anti-music. and you You know that. But what I've noticed lately is as I've turned off the noise, as I've disciplined myself to say, no, I'm not going to fill my mind. I'm not going to fill my car. I'm not going to fill my, my office, my walk, whatever, with just something, a resounding gong going through my, my eardrums. When I've started to do that, what I've realized is I'm recalling a whole lot more scripture than when I had filled my mind and my, my, you know, my heart with all kinds of, of, of words and music. I recognize that as I'm walking around and I'm getting tired, and I'm talking to myself and all the things that I'm able to remember Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough. You know, do you see what I'm saying? I'm able to go back and Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. You know, just going back and there are scriptures that just kind of pop in my head and I'm talking about it. Why is that? It's because I've turned the noise off. I want to hear God, I want to hear his word. I don't want to hear everything else. And that's the pursuit of living just a little bit more disciplined and raising that standard just a little bit. You see, when you go through Scripture, when you go through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, which can be difficult books to read, don't miss this point. God's standards are exceedingly high. But he revealed himself to you. He revealed himself to you because he wants to bring you into a right relationship with himself through Jesus Christ to bring you closer to his standards. Don't cheapen that grace. Don't cheapen that sacrifice. Don't cheapen that work that was done on a cross, that perfect atoning sacrifice to say, well, I hope I just get a, uh, I hope I get a flotation device and I can just kind of tread water until the good Lord calls me home. No. Now, you know, we, we say the phrase here, like, I'm not better than you, but I'm better than that. Brother, I want you to know you're better than that. Don't tread water. Don't settle. Don't be mediocre. Be that rare guy that walks into his church, that walks into his small group, that walks into his Sunday school, that walks into his house 
with an incredibly high view of God and his word. And I promise you, people will take notice. When you start to be changed and your mind is being changed and it's being softened and calloused at the same time, what's it calloused to? All the negativity, all the bitterness, all the resentment, all the things that you struggle with, all your insecurities, but it's being softened to absorb scripture and you're able to recall you know, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that so easily entangles us. You know what? Right now, this thing is entangling me. This thing is tripping me up. This thing is getting in the way. I'm done with it. When you can recall scripture on the go, on the fly, let me tell you, man, you're moving the right direction. God has a very high standard and he will, through Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life, bring you every day sanctification every day closer to that standard don't settle for less amen